ancient words, living faith. We've been reading in our daily Bible readings this past week, we read about the divided kingdom. And we'll end up closing this lesson tonight about the divided kingdom. This is a picture here on the background of this slide of the continent of Africa. And when we think about large numbers of people, and we think about one man such as Solomon, can one man divide an entire nation? Isn't it hard to believe that one man can divide a nation? Maybe there's someone here tonight that says, you know, there's nothing that I could do to divide a nation. But you see, the fact is, however many we have influence over, that's the number of people that we can divide. You see, it just so happened that Solomon had influence over an entire nation. And so when he decided not to follow God, the consequences rippled throughout the nation. Do you have influence over a workplace? You could cause great division there or you could cause great peace there. Do you have influence over a community? You could be a blessing to that community or you could be a curse to your neighborhood. Do you have influence over your family? You see, you could bring a lot of peace to your family or you could bring a lot of division among your family. And tonight, as we close this lesson, we're going to talk about learning from Solomon and Jeroboam's Rehoboam's mistakes Solomon and Rehoboam's mistakes so that we don't do things that cause division in relationships that we share in. And especially, think how terrible it would be to cause division in the Lord's church. Let's make sure that that we do the things that adds to unity and promotes God's will in every relationship that we have. But also because the divided kingdom is, is such a significant milestone in studying the Old Testament. I want us to take some time tonight, and, and as we do this, it's going to take a little bit of time. And, and as we do this, I don't want you to think, wow, if, if this is just the introduction, we're going to be here all night. The introduction will be pretty long tonight, because one of the things that we want to do for probably half of our time is just look at some of the major movements that we've been reading about in the Old Testament that leads us to this time of division. And, and to kind of get a, our, our mind wrapped around this. Some of you that know the Bible well and you've, you've uh, perhaps studied it deeply or taught it often, this is going to be things that, that you're very much aware of. Others maybe that are reading along now, this will be something that might be a great help with the things that you're reading to kind of bring it all back in perspective under one storyline. And if you haven't been reading along, maybe this will just be kind of like an advertisement to intrigue you to say, you know, we just begun the book of 2 Kings. What a wonderful time to jump back in and do some daily Bible reading as we go throughout Kings. As we go to this next slide, I'd like to show you some things that we'll spend some time on as we think about the Old Testament reading up to this point, looking at some of the primary Old Testament characters. You know, if we get in our mind the Old Testament characters and some of the movements that take place in the stories of these Old Testament characters, it really becomes a a very interesting story that just spans throughout much of the Old Testament. First, we see the introductions. Genesis is a book of beginnings. We see the beginning of God being introduced to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second chapter, we see the beginning of the relationship of husband and wife being described as Adam and Eve were the first husband and wife. In the third chapter, we see the introduction that we have to Satan. He entered into the garden in the form of a serpent. You see, when we look at Adam, we look at the father, if you will, of the human race. All of us are related to Adam and Eve. Now, 
1,656 years passes from Genesis the first chapter to Genesis the sixth chapter. And by the time we come to Genesis the sixth chapter, we learn that all of mankind's thoughts and actions are evil, except for one family. Noah found grace in the sight of God. Here's a man when everybody else was turning their back on God and upon righteousness. He was a man that kept his face toward God and his standard in his life was righteousness and God prospered him. I need to love that fact that God prospers those whom stay close to him. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about in the things that matter most. Can you imagine what it meant to Noah whenever that door was closed and that flood came and that ark began to lift off and all of his family was safe in that ark? You see, we have Noah, we have his wife, we have his three sons, and also their three wives. Now, one of those sons, Shem, it is from there that about 300 years later, Abraham is going to be born of a descendant of Shem. Now, it's important for us to note this if we want to get an idea of following the New Testament in that one of the great purposes of the New Testament is that we see a lineage developing that's going to end up giving birth to Jesus Christ. And so we think about Shem, and that, that brings us to Abraham. 300 years later, Abraham is oftentimes called the father of the faithful. God came to Abraham and he made a covenant with him in Genesis the 12th chapter. There's at least three primary points of the covenant or the promise that God made to Abraham. He promised him that he'd be the father of a great nation. And keep in mind, he and Sarah had no children at this time. What a, a leap of faith to believe that. You remember they would even pass the years of childbearing before they would even have that son Isaac. But they also were told that they would be given a land. God's going to give them a land that most of the time throughout the old Bible we refer to it as Canaan's land. And so he and his family were going to have to move and God was going to give them that land. But then another aspect of the promise was so awesome that you just wonder how much Abraham could have fully understood it and appreciated it at that time. But it was that through his descendants, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. It's easy for us to understand. He was talking that Jesus Christ would come from his lineage and, and Jesus would be a savior to all mankind. What a wonderful covenant. Now, as that covenant was made, we see that it was continually uh, passed down, if you will, to his children. We see Isaac. And then Isaac had the twin sons, and Jacob was the one that would be the chosen one that the lineage of Jesus would come through. Now, you remember Jacob had 12 sons. During this time, they had made their way to the land that God had given them during Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's days. And so they were living in Canaan's land. But do you remember the most well-known son of Jacob is probably Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. That would end up through a famine moving all of the 12 sons, all of what we usually call the tribes of Israel would go down and they would live in Egypt. But later the Pharaoh that did not know Joseph would become afraid of them and he would begin to work them as slaves and try to submit them so that they would not grow strong in number and in strength. Now, as we think about that, let me just go ahead and point out to you for interest's sake. Remember, we've been following the lineage Probably because Joseph is so well known that, that some might just immediately think that Jesus came through the lineage of Joseph. He didn't. 
Jesus came through probably the second best known son, and that was Judah. And so if we were charting the family tree, so to speak, we would hear branch out and we would start studying Judah because it's through Judah that we're going to see David would eventually be born. And then, of course, from David, a thousand years later, Jesus Christ would be born. But now let's go back to this Egyptian slavery here for a few minutes as, as we break away from the, the studying the lineage for just a moment. They were in that slavery for about 400 years. During this time was when Moses was born. And remember, he was floated in the Nile River, adopted into Pharaoh's household. And he would grow up there for 40 years. But during his infant years, his mother, who was a Hebrew, his mother raised him. She taught him the ways of Jesus. Young mothers don't ever, ever fail to understand how important it is while children are so young that many say, I don't think they can understand and remember a lot. This individual Moses was able to remember who God was and is and that he was his God. And so 40 years later, he sees the Egyptians mistreating his people. He hasn't forgotten what his mother has taught him when he was just such a young little boy. And it's there that he tried to defend that that Israelite, and he took the life of the Egyptian, and he fled. And he lived out in the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of that, he saw the burning bush. God sends him back to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now we have the book of Exodus. That's where he is leading an exodus out of slavery. They now are going to be free. They're going back to their Canaan's land. Now, as they go through, they have to have a civil order. They have to have a religious uh, government about them. And so when we read in Leviticus, Numbers, those are books that, if you'll remember when we were reading those, told us so many laws about the way they would live, whether it had to do with their civil government or if it had to do with their religion. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, they have wandered out in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. The first time they came to the river, you remember 10 of the 12 spies says, we can't do this. We've seen the huge giants. We've seen the fortified cities. We can't take over this place. Now, you remember it's Caleb and Joshua that begged the people, believing God. Our young people have been studying this week, facing the giants. They literally were at a time where they were facing literal giants. And these two men knew by the power of God they could face the giants. But the other ten did not believe it and they convinced all of Israel and they went back and they wandered out in the wilderness for 40 years. The book of Deuteronomy is oftentimes called the second law. It's called the second law because this is the second time they've come up to this river. Moses knows that he is about to die. He knows that he's not going to have uh, either the responsibility or the opportunity to lead them over into the Canaan's land. And so he's pleading with the people, don't forget God. Don't forget the law of God. Keep his statutes and he'll bless you. But if you forget God, let me warn you of the curses. And that's a theme that runs throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Look at the blessings you can have. Look at the curses you will have. Decide to obey God. Do not turn your back and disobey God. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Now, it is there that the book of Deuteronomy closes with that chapter that just rips your heart out. It's Moses going up and... And he's not allowed to go over into Canaan's land, but God allows him to go up to Mount Nebo and he looks over into that beautiful land and he dies and God buries him and no man knows where his grave is. There had been a man in training for at least 40 years. He had been the assistant to Moses, Joshua. The book of Joshua opens with God telling him, Moses is dead. Listen, 
there are always going to be transitions in life. And if you and I ever hang our hat upon one person, if we're ever serving God through one person, I want to ask you a question. What are you going to do when that one person dies? Have you ever seen that key person in a family where that family does good until that person dies and then it just seems like spiritually the family falls apart? Don't follow God through a person. A great leader like Moses will have his day that he breathes his last breath. Follow God. I heard a statement one time that is powerful. God has no grandchildren. God is not going to adopt you into his family through some other person. If you want to be a follower of God, be a follower of God and use everybody else as encouragement to you. But don't follow God through your parents. Don't follow God through your spouse. Don't follow God through a good church family. Oh, I'm a part of a great church family. Well, what if you get transferred and you move to a place where the church is, is weak? Are you still going to follow God? Moses is dead. God has another leader for the children of Israel, and that is Joshua. And the people were ready to follow Joshua, and he is strong and courageous. Moses had led for 40 years. Joshua leads for 25 years, going in and, and taking over cities by the hand of God. Joshua understood completely that it wasn't his strength or his power, but it was because they were relying upon God. Now, it's at the time that Joshua dies that we see another transition. God wanted their government to be ruled as a theocracy. Judges were appointed. And those judges were to lead people based upon how God instructed them to be led. Now, they looked around and they saw all of their neighbors had kings. And they wanted to be like their neighbors. What a sad mistake any time we look about what others are doing and God is asking for one thing and our neighbors are doing something else and we want what the neighbors are doing instead of what God is asking. Now as we study the judges, we cover about 300 years in history. There are about 15 judges recorded. You'll remember some of the ones like Deborah and Barak and Samson. Some of them were tremendous judges. Some of them didn't fare so well. But all of them were used by God to lead the people. At the end of this 300 years, finally, Samuel, one of the greatest judges of all, and had a very unique role in that he served not only as a judge, but he served also as a priest and also as a prophet. It was during that time that God came to him and said, and this is my words, but let the people have what they want. They want a king? I'll tell you who to appoint as king. Appoint Saul. Wow. He came from a family of a mighty warrior. He stood literally a, a head and shoulders above everybody else. And the scripture says he was more beautiful than anyone else in Israel. And doesn't even say more beautiful than any man. That always strikes me as interesting there. He must have been quite a handsome guy for the scriptures to say that he was the most beautiful person in, in Israel. And so here's this guy that he's a son of a warrior. He's so tall and strong in stature. And he's such a good looking guy. God gave him everything he needed to succeed but the problem is he wouldn't trust God enough and fear continued to lead Saul to the wrong decisions. For 40 years, 
He reigns. David, the young shepherd boy, the son of Jesse. You remember now when we were doing our daily Bible reading, we read that book of Ruth. You remember Ruth was, actually took place during the days of the judges. And there are many reasons perhaps we could say that the book of Ruth was written, but one of the reasons it was written to just give us a little snapshot into the lineage that would lead to Jesus. And remember it was that through David that there was a descendant of Ruth. And so we see here in these judges, and now we see in the kings, we see David being appointed. And, and David was a, a tremendous leader. He would be the greatest king that we read about in the Scriptures. He too led for 40 years. Now it was his son Solomon that became a king also. And at the beginning of his reign, he shows the signs of being perhaps the best king to ever live. You remember when he had that in his sleep that the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him he could request whatever he wanted. And his request was, I want an understanding heart to properly judge the people. And God gave him more wisdom than anybody that had ever lived. But by the time we finish tonight's lesson, and you're being so attentive, I know we're covering so much, and I know something like this verges on becoming boring. I appreciate you being so attentive. We're going we're gonna to bring this all into one package here. And by the time we finish, which won't be very far in the future, we're going to see this, we're going to see this wise king that has given more wisdom than, than any man in his day become foolish, foolish, foolish. To think of God's kingdom being divided, it ought to break every one of our hearts. God never wants His people divided. What would cause God's people to be divided? Can you imagine that it was at one time the wisest man who ever lived? Isn't that a shame? It's His fault. He was the wisest man that lived, and by the time the end of his life, he becomes so foolish that he divided God's people. And so we'll look at that in just a moment. Let's go back one slide real quick. And let me get my bearings where I need to go here. All right. Now, as, as we think about uh, the, the final king, let's f- roll forward here now. Thank you. As we, we look at Solomon's death, what I'd like to do before we look at that story of Solomon is just real quick show you two slides because where we're reading right now, if you're involved in the daily Bible reading, a snapshot of this might help you. Now, before that just kind of boggles your mind, we're not going to look at these in depth. I just want you to get an idea. When we look at Israel here, because when the kingdoms were divided, the northern kingdom was made up of ten tribes and it followed first Jeroboam. And the northern kingdom is called Israel. So when you're reading in your daily Bible reading and you read about a king of Israel, that is a king of the northern kingdom. Now, I need to know a couple of things about the kings of the northern kingdom. Whenever Jeroboam took the people northward, that, of course, avoided Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of worship. He was afraid that if he let the people go back down in Jerusalem and worship, that they would leave him and that they would return to God and perhaps become connected with the southern kingdom again. And so he immediately instituted calf worship. That was out of Egypt. You remember when they were at the base of Mount Sinai and they grew weary with the fact that Moses hadn't returned and they grew afraid and so they went back to what they knew back in Egypt, calf worship. Well, now here they are, generations removed. And what do they do? They still go back to calf worship. This is a point that is so sad. Out of all of those kings, every 
one of them stayed with calf worship. Now, you may be wondering, what are those B's and E-B's and things? That's abbreviation. You see the years, like Jeroboam, he reigned 22 years. The B there is just say he was a bad king. In other words, in the sight of God, he never served God. When we come down to E-B, that's extra bad. And when you come down to uh, Joram at the bottom... That's bad mostly. There were a few good characteristics about him. And you'll see this in your, your daily Bible reading. And, and so, but the point is of Israel's kings, every one of them were bad because from the beginning they instituted calf worship. So they were never pointed toward God. A point of application. How important is, us to, how important is it for us to point people toward God? We have children in Bible classes this morning and we'll Wednesday night. Don't take for granted how powerful it is to point them toward God. We as adults will be in Bible classes. What do we need to do? Always be pointed toward God. Because what's the implied opposite? Here's a kingdom that lasted over 200 years, but the people were never pointed toward God. And what do you think the result was? They never got on the path with God. Whoever pointed you in the direction of God, say a prayer tonight and thank God for them. And then ask yourself, who am I going to point in the direction toward God? If someone has never been pointed in the direction toward God in their life, they probably will never end up there. Let's look at the next slide, and this is Judah's kings. Now, Judah was the southern tribe. The southern tribe was made up of two tribes, actually. God actually said, I'm going to give... In, mem- in, in memory or in honor, if you will, I'm going to give a tribe to the southern in memory of David. And then he was going to give a tribe in somewhat honor or memory of Jerusalem. And so there were two tribes that were given, and it was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Judah for David's sake, Benjamin for Jerusalem's sake. Now, but it is called by the term Judah. So when you're reading through in your daily Bible reading and you see uh, kings being referred to as Judah's kings, uh, Rehoboam was the first of Judah's king and he was bad mostly. Keep in mind, this was Solomon's son and he helped divide the kingdom. It was actually promised that it would divide because of punishment to Solomon, but yet God was able to work through the pride of Rehoboam for that to become a reality. And again, the, the BM stands for bad mostly, and then we have some goods mixed in there. And we have some bads, and then we have some goods mostly mixed in there. And then on the right column there, you see some W's, and that would be the worst of Judah's kings. Now, the good news is they did not worship uh, calf worship the whole time. The bad news is many of the ones that are marked there bad or, or worse, they did bring in various forms of idol, including calf worship. So for this, just this last couple of minutes, I hope you have your Bibles. And if you do, if you would open up with me to 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. And we're just going to scan some things over the next four to five minutes, and then we're going to extend an invitation. In, in 1 Kings, the fourth, the, I'm sorry, 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. And I hope you will jump on board uh, this week in the daily Bible reading if you haven't. And we're going to be reading about these kings that we just looked at. And you're going to see this divided kingdom. And one reason why that, that could really help you in your Bible knowledge is that toward the end of the kings... I tell you what, let's back up a slide. And, and this might help you in your understanding one more. Okay, notice here that Israel was of the ten tribes in the northern, and they lasted just over 200 years. And notice, they were destroyed by the Assyrians. But yet on the other hand, 
uh, the Judah, or the southern kingdom, outlived the northern kingdom by a hundred years. Now, most of us have probably heard of Babylonian captivity. That is toward the very end of Old Testament history. And so we read about that remnant when the Babylonians came over and took them into captivity and for 70 years they went into exile. And the reason I want you to see that is once we come now to the end of the kings, and, and of course the same stories will be told again in Chronicles, then when we go over later on this year and we start reading the prophets, the prophets is not a continuation of time. The prophets come back and they mix into these. And we'll see some of the prophets that went to the northern kingdom, some of the prophets that went to the southern kingdom. And so it's real important to get a picture of the things that we've talked about here because the rest of the Bible will come back and fit into this. For example, I know our kids at least had a short lesson uh, at camp about Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah, because of where it's found in the Bible, a lot of people fail to really think about the fact that Nehemiah came back to rebuild the wall after the exile, which means that's one of the last occasions that we have in the Old Testament. And so getting a picture of this helps us to put the prophets in place. And so later on, we'll try to come back and do another lesson later on this year that, that might help us put some of these prophets in place. But let's close by thinking about what would divide a nation. When we look at what Solomon did in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter... You'll notice as we begin scanning verse 1, there were some places that the Israelites were not to find wives or husbands. And yet Solomon went over and he disobeyed that. In verse 2 it says, From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them. But yet he did that. And notice what it says. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Notice verse 3, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to God, to the Lord his God, as was the heart of the father David. And it even talks about how he began building places of worship for these idolatrous uh, for these idols and for their wives to worship these. And, and it even clearly, as we just read, said it even turned his heart away from God. So it, it, we tend to see that he must have started participating in the worship of some of this. And it's just hard to believe that we could go from the wisest man that ever lived to a man. But that shows us the power of peer pressure. And how oftentimes do we, we say that and we point towards our youth. But yet here was an older, wise man. And peer pressure pulled him away. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 33 about be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good morals, or evil companions corrupt good morals. And a lot of time again we say that to our youth, but yet that was written to adults about them becoming believers that there was no resurrection. The point is you and I need to be very careful who we start forming close relationships with because we will probably start to share in some of their beliefs. I'll say it again. You and I need to be very careful who we form close relationships with because we will begin sharing in their beliefs. If you'd ask Solomon when he started marrying this idolatrous wives, would you ever start worshiping their gods? He probably would have declared up and down, absolutely not. But yet his heart was turned away from God. And so look at verse 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. 
Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. You see, that's prophecy of the divided kingdom. Why did it happen? Because of the way Solomon conducted himself as a man that had an effect upon the entire nation. Later, when Jeroboam, it would be prophesied to him, if you want to scan down in verse 29, it was prophesied to him that he would be the one that would lead the northern kingdom. I'd like for you to notice as we flip over to verse, uh, it's told throughout these verses we're skipping over. Now look at verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. And so he arises at this point and, flee, may, and, and flees to Egypt. Do you realize what we've just read? God gave Jeroboam a prophecy. Solomon hears about the prophecy and doesn't like it and says, I'll kill the man. Do you realize that Solomon was literally in his action saying, God, I'll fight you. Bring it on, God. You're going to try to send a man that will take over part of the, the tribes. He's going to take ten tribes. God, that's your plan? Watch my plan. I'll kill the man that's a part of your plan. This was the wisest man that had ever lived up until the point his heart was turned away from God. What a heartbreak. We don't have time to study in depth the 12th chapter about Rehoboam coming in and, and his arrogance that he wouldn't listen to the people. But that stirred the people and therefore the people turned away from him and that's what caused the divided kingdom. A father who let his heart turn from God and literally in his action said, God, I'll fight you. And a son who said, when the people came and said, please just listen to us. The burden's too heavy. And in verse 15 and 16, both times it says he would not listen to the people. You want to divide relationships? Turn away from God. Fight God. And when people come to you, don't listen to them. And you can divide any great relationship that you have. Are you willing to listen to understand, to feel compassion, and to serve. I wish we had a whole sermon to spend on that, those points right there, but that's what helps unify. Tonight, are you a child of God? We've been studying about God's people as it moved through the Old Testament. We see how God blessed His people that were faithful to Him and how they had to suffer the consequences when they were not faithful. That's still true today. God can bless us, prosper us, and save us. But we also can reap the consequences of a life away from God. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, or if you have and you strayed from Him and you need to come back to Him, if we can help you in any way, please come as we stand as we sing.